episode of the Grind Hours podcast is brought to you by SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the number one ticket app for buying and selling tickets. Sports fans, use my code GRINDHOUR at checkout to get $20 off your first purchase. The NFL draft was this past weekend. If you want to see the guy that you got in the draft, go on SeatGeek. Get your tickets. The NBA playoff second round is starting. I believe the Nuggets and... Uh, Portland series is starting tonight. Go get your tickets if you're a Portland fan or a Nuggets fan. Shout out to Dayton. But again, code grinder at checkout to get $20 off your SeatGeek, $20 off at SeatGeek.com. Again, code grinder, SeatGeek.com or the SeatGeek app. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. All right. This is a guest that we haven't had on in 2019, I think. It was probably late 2018. It's been a while, but uh, Aaron Califato of, I want to say, just the seven-minute stories now? Yeah, that's it, man. Which, if you haven't caught that feed, it's incredible. How many podcasts are you up to now on that feed? Right now, we have uh, 30, this is going to be episode 33 this Thursday, so this will be the 33rd. We, I just I really just started in... Um, like consistently in in uh, September. I thirty three already. I remember when you announced that podcast. It it doesn't seem like thirty three episodes ago. Yeah, so it's it's one. I do a seven minute story every week, every Thursday. And obviously, I, re, I, I recorded previously to that. But as far as like distributing it, we do a do a seven minute story every week. It's insane. I, I seriously, I I remember when you told me about it and was like I have this idea I don't know how it's going to go but I'm just going to do it and it really does if it was 33 weeks ago it doesn't seem like it but one of the best feeds that I I have stumbled upon or not even stumbled upon that you that I've been told about and you told me about it and it's great and I love it and I can't wait until this Thursday for the newest episode but that's not why you're here I got you on because the Cleveland sports, for better or for worse, have been the topic of conversation, especially in the NFL with the Odell Beckham Jr. trade. And I just want to start off the podcast by asking you this. What are the expectations for the Browns going into the 2019-20 season? Well, expectations, is, uh, it seems almost counterintuitive when you're, uh, when you're a Browns fan. And... <laughs> For so many years, the expectation was that you were going to lose. And it, the question was, you know, what, how badly and, you know, what was going to be the pick in the draft the next year. And that's sad to say, but that's really how it has been for many, many, many years. There's a few years, if you, you recall, it was you know, 2008. Um, I think it was 2008 with Romeo Cornell. He had Braylon Edwards. I think he went ten and six one year, but then I think Those, that was the Brady Quinn teams, right? Yeah, it was. It was Brady Quinn. There was a couple of hodgepodge quarterbacks. No, actually, that year was Derek Anderson. Oh, okay. Derek uh, Anderson. Yeah, I remember that team. Yeah, Derek Anderson was the quarterback, and that year, he, I believe, he was selected as a Pro Bowl. Yep. He had a, you know, I think he tossed thirty-two hundred yards. Um, I think I have to check my stats. Close to eighteen, twenty touchdowns. They had a really solid year, and they had Kellen Winslow as the tight end. Um, you had uh, Braylon Edwards. I think Jamal Lewis was the running back, the former Raven who came to the Browns and had a couple of good seasons. So there was one or two seasons. But after a few bizarre injuries and a few uh, 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 issues with the general management, it, it, it fell apart. So as far as now, after 20-some-odd years of futility, there is an expectation because of how we played last year. You know, the fact that we were able to win games, we were able to win games on big stages, whether it was against the, you know, the Jets in prime time or whether it was at, on the road against the Denver Broncos. Um, you know, the fact that Baker Mayfield showed, at least in his rookie year, showed himself to have the potential of carrying a team, of being able to handle the big moments, and to have some some talent uh, out there catching the ball as well. I and mean, obviously the the Odell pick, I'm sure you're going to get to this. That's just another sort of feather in the cap as far as, okay, now we have the tools. We have our quarterback. 
we have this these offensive tools. We have a great coach, uh, at least as far as the locker room and Freddie Kitchen. He hasn't proved himself as a head coach, but he's had the quarterback ear. He was a big part of the team last year during a lot of turmoil with Pete Jackson at the beginning of the season. And so what you had last year was a transformation. The transformation that everyone saw in hard knocks ends up transforming from this shit show, which everyone thought, oh, here we go again in Cleveland, to, to this quarterback rising to the occasion after after our starter gets hurt, you know, in, on prime time and being able to come back against the, the Jets and win. And that season, really, I mean, give or take a few games, we probably would have had a, a 900 season. I think we had a 7-9. Um, but but that in itself was a huge accomplishment. The fact that we were in so many games and we should have won multiple games, um, multiple more games a week than we won uh, in totality. But the fact now, the expectation is we think that we're going to have a winning season. Now there's some Browns fans who, who caught off the deep and are calling Super Bowl and all this stuff. I, look, I'm, I'm not that old, but I've been around enough to kind of say, you know, just let's wait a little bit to get that excited. <laughs> but what I do, but what, really, though, what I do is that I expect us to have a winning record. And and I'm looking at the schedule. I'm looking at the additions we have. I'm looking at the culture which has appeared to change with Dorsey as a general manager, with you know a new coach, with um, with confidence, with young players who don't have the history of you know. The Cleveland Browns mistake on the lake sort of aura, and the oh, woe is me, the drive, the fumble, John Elway. I lived through a lot of that. That shit's gone. Now all that's left is you've got a guy that feels dangerous at quarterback. You have skilled receivers who believe in him. You have a defense that's continuing to improve. And, and you have now, I think, a league that's starting to pay attention to the Cleveland Browns. So the expectation is that we're going to have a winning season. What that means? I don't know, but I think you could, if you pulled any Brown fan, they would think that we make that we have a possibility of making the playoffs this year. How loved is Baker? Is he on the level of? I mean, no one will probably ever touch LeBron in the pantheon of Cleveland sports, but comparing him to young LeBron when LeBron was in the mid two thousands when he was coming up and right when he made the finals the first time, is Baker at that point now? just because of he took them from absolute obscurity to really a playoff team, borderline playoff team last year? It's a great question. And let me try to give it to you as succinctly as possible, because what you just did was open up a can of worms um, with how LeBron is received in Northeast Ohio and Cleveland and Akron. That's a, that's a podcast we can do even down the road. You could do two hours about this, this, the sociological ramifications of LeBron James and being from here, what he did for the team, the drama of him leaving his hometown in the way that he did, in, in the way that wasn't received well, the fact that he came back as a hero and delivered not only four trips to the championship, but then a championship of all championships, really. I mean, a comeback from 3-1 down against, you know, a, a, the record – one of the best seasonal records by any basketball team that's uh, that the Golden State Warriors. I think they beat the Chicago Bulls record. They did. Uh, so, seasonal win. so, I mean, that, that, that in itself might go down as one of the greatest championships ever won, on top of the fact that he did that for a team that didn't hadn't won a championship since 1964. Now, here's the thing, though, to your question about Baker. I gave you that context about LeBron because here's a, here's a different take that I think most people would tell you, even from here. I think that LeBron James has a more strained relationship with Cleveland than people think, meaning he's beloved. Don't get me wrong. He's my favorite basketball player. But he also, look, he's done incredible things for the community, especially Akron. He continues to do them with the I Promise School and his charitable giving. He's an incredible icon and ambassador of the game. But LeBron never really loved and embraced Cleveland, the city of Cleveland. He's from Akron, which is, you know, it's almost like a micro city 35 minutes south of Cleveland. So we're all kind of part of one big region. We all identify locally as, as sort of people from the same area. But if you come here, you'll, you'll learn that there's a difference 
uh, I guess you could compare it to the boroughs in New York, right? Where you're all in New York, but you know, Staten Island's different than the Bronx, and that's different than Queens, and that's you know, so on and so forth. So you're part of a place, but there's a specific attitude, and there's a different people from different areas of this region. And early on, LeBron James was an amazing player for the Cavs, but he didn't embrace Cleveland the way Baker does. He didn't, I mean, to the point where he used to wear you know, New York Yankee caps to the Cleveland Indians. Yeah, he did. He was a he Yankee was fan. Off, he was a Yankee yeah. fan and a Cowboy fan. And a Cowboy fan. And it, it really, uh, frankly, it wasn't until he came back letter or penned it with, uh, with you know, fellow, whether it was a kid. He wasn't a ghostwriter, but, you know, the, uh, uh, I don't know who the author was. I can't remember his name. Lee Jenkins. Um, he, he works for the Clippers now, I think. Well, so the, he, he, when he pen, helped pen that letter, he came back to Cleveland in 2016. Then he started opening up. Now, whether that was true in his heart or whether that was more of a marketing tactic to try to get sort of the fan base back behind him, I don't know. Because he's still my favorite player. But my point is, and it's a belabored answer, but I just had to, I had to give it justice because it's a very complex relationship with LeBron. So when you ask me, is Baker, has he gotten to that level? Right now the answer is no, only because there's a limited body of work. But I will say that Baker has embraced Cleveland from the get-go. I mean, Cleveland all the way, unapologetically a fan of Cleveland and proud to say it. He's not wearing Yankee caps to the game. He's not wearing Cowboys caps to the game. I know he's from, uh, I think he's from Texas originally. Um, you know, he's not, he's, uh, even if he has those teams that he loves, as soon as he's had a contract here, he said, let's get to work. And he's embraced the city. And when you embrace a city like Cleveland like that, similar to how Bernie Kosar did, uh, back in the late 80s, early 80s to, to early 90s when he was here. That's one of the reasons why Bernie Kosar was so beloved. Yes, he was a, a very good quarterback, um, a Pro Bowl caliber quarterback, but it's just the fact that he was proud to play here. And that's why I think Baker has the potential to, to really surpass LeBron. I mean that in the future. If he's able to succeed and win championships here in Cleveland, and if he's able to do it while – being unapologetically a fan of the city and the region of Northeast Ohio and the city of Cleveland, he has every opportunity to surpass them. Uh, as of now, though, because of the limited body of work, I got to say no, but there's definitely a chance because of how he approaches not only his play on the field, but the way he interacts with the city. I think that's just his personality because he was a walk-on at Texas Tech, then transferred to Oklahoma. Now he's a Heisman Award winner. He's a first-round overall draft choice. And he is the face of the franchise from starting over, from literally starting from zero. They had no wins when they get, when he got there. So I really like Baker as a human being. I mean, when he put when he planted the flag in Ohio State, I instantly became a, a Baker Mayfield fan just because I hate Ohio State. But um, <laughs> No, I, I really think it's a good it's a really good question and as an outsider I love LeBron too and it, it's really interesting. We'll get to the Cavs in a minute, but it was really interesting this past year of sort of taking a trip down memory lane when LeBron left the first time and how bad the Cavs were. You, you kind of forget when a when a you know son he, that's LeBron is a, an entire galaxy comes to your city and everything is just smudged over until he leaves i think it's it's really i want to say it's interesting that uh baker's at least at that level because that's something that now that you mention it with lebron and his tenure in cleveland both times kind of makes sense it really kind of makes sense and and the little things that happen there I don't know what that says about LeBron, but it it, it just it makes Baker the better person, or at least and, and, you know. And look, anything could happen. Anything could happen. You know, Baker could leave. Baker could get pissed off. Baker could this and that. We don't know. But as of now, the way he's approached this, and it's, again, it's early. The way he's approached this first year, and it, again, it's, it's very interesting because LeBron played his heart out when he was in Cleveland. LeBron gave his all. LeBron was an incredible athlete. 
LeBron was, but at the same time, you always felt that you never felt sure in his love for the team and the city. You never felt that. You 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 knew he was from here. You knew you loved him because he was he was like part of your family because it's like you know someone in your neighborhood, someone in the backyard, someone who you you know he's like one he's either my age or a year younger than me, LeBron. So I grew up when LeBron was in high school. I mean, I went to. I went to the Cavs. It was um, it was called the Dundarina at the time, but the, where the Cavs play now, Quicken Loans Arena. I went and saw LeBron play high school ball for St. Vincent, and they brought him to Cleveland to play. I mean, it was like watching him was it was a phenomenon, and it's so interesting because Baker, his journey, as you mentioned, mirrors mostly a, a, a Cleveland narrative: an underdog, doubted. Not always looked at as the best, the tallest, the strongest, but has a lot of fight. And I think there's where he identifies. He wasn't crowned the king when he was 15 or 16. In fact, as you know, Baker was doubted all the way through the draft, frankly. Right. And I could be I was one of the people that doubted him. I didn't think that Baker Mayfield, based on Cleveland's love of like really small quarterbacks, I was like, not again. Like, like Jeff Garcia, I was like, here we go. I felt like it was going to be another guy who couldn't, you know, stand in the pocket. Another guy with minimal arm strength. It's a Colt McCoy type player. Wow. I was dead wrong. I was dead wrong because this guy knows how to navigate the pocket. Um, he's very similar to Drew Brees in terms of how I think, how he's smart. And again, he's got one year. Everything could change, but so far, yeah, man, this guy's got all the potential in the world, and the way that he embraces this city. If he if he takes Cleveland to a Super Bowl and he wins it, I'll tell you what, there's some, someone going to be on equal playing ground as LeBron James or if you think surpass him. There's two names that I haven't heard in a very long time there, and in, in, in the matter of like 30 seconds, Jeff Garcia and then a Colt McCoy reference. But I'm showing my age. I'm showing my age. <laughs> <laughs> I think you know Odell's going to put the same energy that um that Baker is right now because I mean when Odell got drafted with the Giants here he instantly embraced New York and New York instantly embraced him I mean the catch helped but Odell would have been a star no matter where no matter what he did on the field for the Giants because of his personality and it's going to be interesting because LeBron was a star before he got to Cleveland, but he was a star in high school, and then he got immediately drafted. He didn't go anywhere. Odell went somewhere, and now he's coming to Cleveland as this superstar. To have that back in Cleveland again, is it going to be different this time around? Because, I mean, Odell's going to be Odell, no matter where he goes. He's kind of like T.O., but not really, because T.O. was a just ultimate distraction in and out of the locker room from everything that came out with, you know, Odell being traded and the Giants general management not in love with him and his antics. Cleveland clearly said, we want you. We we will put up with anything that you do. I really am optimistic about OBJ's tenure in Cleveland because not only do I think he's going to embrace the city of Cleveland, I think he's going to absolutely explode in his offensive production, especially with Baker, and just go to another level. Now, and I mean, LeBron has been the overarching theme of this podcast. LeBron and Odell are friends, so that could also bridge the gap a little bit with um, with with LeBron, possibly. I don't know. I mean, you might see LeBron there more during the NFL season if he doesn't have a game because Odell's playing and he now apparently loves the Cleveland Browns does does LeBron but oh cuz yeah cuz they cuz they cuz they started winning <laughs> <laughs> He's a front runner. I I mean I don't know the guy but as a he's a front, he loves winning teams. He's not a guy that historically has stuck with teams as far as like who he roots for. That, I mean look at the people who like the Cowboys Ohio State, right? This guy isn't like, I'm a New York Jets fan. You know what I'm saying? He's not right. entrenched with, with those teams that have a, a storied history but have struggled in recent decades. And uh, and you're right. I mean, look, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is that 
Baker Mayfield takes that pressure off of him because Baker is now the face of the franchise, whether he likes it or not. And I think Odell's okay with that because Odell, I don't know him. Like, you probably know him, you know, um, and, and I, I feel like I've watched because I watched the Giants. I'm aware of it. But he seems to be a guy that he'll embrace where he's at, but he's going to be him. And I think it's great for him to be in a place where he doesn't necessarily have to be – he can be the talent. He doesn't have to be the face. He can be part of a unit in which he can just ex- exploit his talent to its furthest ability. And I think Baker will help him do that. And I think he'll I, – hopefully he'll have a sense of freedom here where he doesn't feel pressured to answer as the franchise or to be a certain way. Or, you know, it's really going to be a team game. And, you know, we have now, I think, with Miles Garrett, he's a stud. Jeff Baker Mayfield, he's a stud. Um, you have, you know, Odell, he's a stud. You have players now that are arriving on the scene that it's really making it a unit. And I feel that they all, so far, we'll see how until the season plays out. But the chemistry seems to be good. And the fact that Odell, you know, Odell is one of his best friends is, is, is at the number two across from him, um, that's not a bad thing either. No, it's going to be an LSU reunion, and the guy that you picked, Grady Williams from LSU, the Browns are just becoming LSU North, but a, <laughs> a point on the on uh, OBJ, which you hammered home, and which I think is the reason why everything fell apart here in New York, is he's going to be him. I think he truly does just want to play football. With the way that he is in his personality and how he's flashing, he does touchdown dances and, you know, what is he going to wear to the games and the Facebook, the Facebook show. I think the New York media blew that all out of proportion as this guy wants to be, you know, a prima donna and, and this star. I think that's just who Odell is because of the way, I mean, he's the way that he said he's grown up with the amount of confidence that his parents instilled in him. I don't think he gives a, a shit about what anybody thinks. I think he just wants to be him and play football. And in a city yeah. like Cleveland, with Baker Mayfield, I mean, it's going to be a track meet for some games, the way that Baker can throw the ball and move around the pocket. And with what Jarvis Landry and, and Odell can do, and let's not forget Kareem Hunt um, after his suspension and, and – uh, Nick Chubb, who I loved coming out of Georgia a couple of years ago. So, oh yeah, he's underrated. He's underrated. He, oh, he is. I I don't even think he's underrated. I think he's under the radar. Um, I think he's properly rated because a lot of the people in the NFL know that this guy can play football. It's just the the fact that Baker was such a shining star last year that Nick Chubb really went completely under the radar. And think about the pressure that that you're going to put on defenses if someone can stay healthy. Like you said, if you've got two guys in Landry and Beckham um, who are able to stretch the field, um, you know, think of how play action is going to work at that, the, 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 inter, the interconnectedness of your passing and your throwing, how you can how you can go to Chubb and maybe, you know, dig for some, some yards and then really switch up the tempo with the play action pass. Think about how Baker, uh, if he's getting rushed or if there's people coming at him, he can just escape one tackle in the pocket. And then think of someone like Odell and even Landry, you know, like being but the Odell and think of him just in that sort of improvised scenario as he's trying to take out a cornerback who, who can barely keep track of him when he's running a route. I mean, imagine when it's like, right. now we're playing football and Baker's running. I mean, it's going to be awesome. It really, I mean, it's just, it's acquiring talent and, and it's drafting properly. And that's something the Browns haven't had in a long time. And, you know, Dorsey really has, is, the, is the driving force of that. I mean, that is a direct result of Dorsey making the moves and, and, and making the right picks and bringing the right talent here at the right time. I mean, it really is. We're, it's, it's amazing that we're actually looking forward to a season without dread here in Cleveland. And regardless of what happens, if we take a step back or if we make the playoffs, either way, I think, I think we're positioned. For the, you know, for the foreseeable future, barring injury, you know, football is so volatile. But, I mean, barring injury in an ideal world, we're positioned for the next five to seven years to be a, a contending team. I think the passing of the torch in the AFC North was last year. 
I think the last hurrah with the Steelers was, I mean, they flamed out, and I hate bad-mouthing the Steelers because I have family in Pittsburgh, and I know how just deeply in love the city of Pittsburgh loves the Pittsburgh Steelers, but, I mean, it's, if you had to just reiterate how much of an asshole Ben Roethlisberger is, I mean, just Google what he did in the mid-2000s. It's not pretty, not at all. And from everything that came out with the Antonio Brown thing and Le'Veon leaving, it's a mess there. The Ravens are a good team. I really like Lamar Jackson, and I think he can – I mean, it's going to be a two-dog race, and the two dogs have second-year quarterback. So it's it's going to be interesting. Now, Freddie Kitchens – and the guys – I mean, Freddie Kitchens, who knows if he's ready for it or not, but the – the guys that are playing on the field, I think, are ready for the, the criticism and the hype around this team because of Baker and what he did in college and just his mantra that we have already discussed and Odell and all. And just, I mean, since Odell got here, he was in New York, he was scrutinized. And what did you do with this? And the whole, you know, the whole blunt video and all that sort of stuff. So, the guys can handle it. It's just a matter of playing football. And, it, I mean, it's April. It's the second to last day in April. It's going to be the last day in April when this podcast goes up. And we're already talking about this. That just – it's a different conversation around the Cleveland Browns, which they were the lovable losers. Now, I mean, they're going to be the lovable winners because there's going to be a lot of winning football in Cleveland in the next five to seven years and maybe even beyond. We, we, Baker just has to stay healthy. Switching to the Cleveland Cavaliers, who have the, I think, fourth best chance of winning the lottery. Yeah. And, I mean, one of my favorite guys, Bill Simmons, says he he will literally protest if the Cavs win the the lottery again. (laughs) But we got to have – we've been lucky. Don't get number one. James Do- James Dolan already has a bullseye on his back, and, and people want to torch the garden to the ground. If they don't get number one, that'll just be the start. And if the Knicks don't get number one, it'll be a gigantic snowball going down Everest because that can only lead to, oh, my God, we did this. We didn't get Zion. Are we going to get KD? What about Kyrie? And it's just going to be – an it's going to be a shitstorm that I actually, as a Net fan, I'm, I kind of want to see it. And I there's this thing with Durant possibly coming to the Nets, and I love it because as much as, as, much as James Dolan should sell the team, I just love Nick fans pleading for a better existence in the NBA because they are one of the – they haven't had any success for 30 years and trying to do this to get Zion, if they fail, I mean, if the, if the Suns get it, if the Cavs get it, if, I mean, who knows, if the Kings get it, it would just be hell in New York. But for the Cavs, who is the guy that you want besides Zion? Because if you guys get the number one pick, you're going to get Zion. But if you don't, who is the guy that you want to be the next face of this franchise for the Cleveland Cavaliers? So it's weird. I, I, I don't know who I'd want to be the face of the Cavaliers. I'm in a weird spot where I'm still – I know he's, you know, 35, well, pushing 35, LeBron, that is. I know he, it's one year removed, but I'm still – maybe I'm just an emotional person, but I'm still – kind of riding that high of four years in the finals of the championship in 2016 
Uh, you know, a, 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 a championship last year where obviously LeBron carried a team that really shouldn't have been there. But but if a few things went the right way in the first game, you know, J.R. Smith knew how the clocks work. <laughs> uh, if those type of things happened, you know, we might be talking differently. There may have been a more competitive series than anything could happen. But I, I'm not as bitter, obviously, that LeBron left um, in, in the – in, in the way that he did for L.A. I don't understand it, and we can dive into that before we hang up. I don't understand why L.A., if he, if he was going to do that, because I think it just, it's just, it has turned out to be a shitstorm. It, it, I mean, you know, it's ridiculous. But, well, that's one of my favorite topics, honestly, is, is LeBron, like the first year of LeBron and how this is damaging his legacy, or at least going to be a blip on his legacy, because, I mean, Bird never missed the playoffs, Jordan never missed the playoffs. The list can go on and on. You've heard that list plenty of times this year. But the reason why he left was because he wanted to start the next phase of his life. He wants to be the next Magic Johnson with Media Mogul and you know creating Space Jam 2 and getting his kids into the best private schools in L.A. for some weird reason. He wants to live in L.A., which, I mean, I saw this coming when LeBron bought two jillion dollar houses in LA in the summer of 17 so that's why he did it and the weird thing I alluded to this at the beginning of the podcast the Cavs were awful this year just dreadful and some of it was because Kevin Love got hurt which I mean it's kind of funny the Cleveland Cavaliers have now turned into the Minnesota Timberwolves all over again with Kevin Love leading a team of nobodies and putting up double doubles. Can this team be a? I mean, the East is putrid. If they get a guy like Cam Reddish or R.J. Barrett, can that be enough? Them paired with Love to be a playoff team? Do you think? I mean, maybe, maybe you know, an, an eighth, you know, an eighth or seventh seed. Honestly, you know, I don't know. It's hard to tell with Kevin Love and his uh, his health. You know, his health has always been an issue on and off, but obviously after he signed a big contract with Cleveland, you hope that he would be able to, um, you know, be able to play out a fuller season. He did He did not. Um, but but I, I thought I thought maybe even this year they could pull an eighth seed with, with a healthy Kevin Love. Maybe they could have. Um, but, yeah, I mean, regardless of who they picked, it's going to be another few years. I mean, it's going to be. I think it's going to be another maybe two and five years before the Cavs are back because they went all in with LeBron. I mean, everything, and that's what happens when you have a LeBron James. Oh, you know, you have to because he takes your franchise hostage and says, "I want to win now." That's the weird thing with this Lakers team is. It seemed like he was patient until he got hurt, and then he was like, "You know what, everybody." Get out of here. I want Anthony Davis. And, I mean, my radio partner, Austin, I've been driving him nuts with how, you know, devastating that was the team's chemistry. And that's the reason why LeBron wasn't in the playoffs because he just (laughs) – everybody in the locker room was like, who the hell are you? Even though you're LeBron James, I still want to be here. You can't just say trade me. So – how it's always been operated. It's, it's a, and, you're, and by the way, we benefited tremendously from that approach. And we had GMs who worked with him and got. To, look, I'm not, I'm not complaining that we we won and we won now. But the the only problem is, is LeBron is the he's not a guy that says let's do that now and then I'm gonna stick here for the rest of my career. Right. He's a guy that says let's do this now. You throw all your chips in. You have little room for sustainability for your franchise's health. He gives you that four to five years or three years in his contract. He gets you to the finals. You win, you win or come close to winning the championship. That's all great. But then when it's time to exit, you're not healthy as a franchise. I mean, he literally comes in. It decimates the franchise. And so I think the Cleveland Cavaliers have a lot of rebuilding to do. As far as how they're going to do it, I don't know if Kevin Love is in the future plans. I think, that, I think he's got to be traded. I like him a lot. But I feel like he's, he's not in a place in his career where he could carry a team like he did when he was, you know, 23, 25. And even when he did, they weren't winners. 
You know, Kevin Love is not that kind of a player that's going to take you and, and get you to the playoffs just on his own. So who 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 can pair him with? I mean, Zion's nice. I like Zion. I watch a lot of his games. Frankly, I I know he's an athletic talent. I don't know how that's going to translate to the NBA, honestly. I, I'm not saying he won't be a great NBA player, but I'm a bit I'm a bit skeptical of his shooting. I know he can hit three, but in terms of no mid range game, he reminds me a lot of Larry Johnson back in the day. Wow. I don't know if you remember Emma Larry Johnson, that's a reference old Charlotte Hornets, New York Knicks. An incredible talent, right? Who could just jump out of the gym and, and was powerful. To me, Zion seems like he would fit more for like nineties basketball rather than today's run and shoot. You know what I'm saying? I mean he, he I'm not saying he won't, but I just don't know if he's gonna have the kind of impact that that you that you'd want as far as a franchise goes. To me, Zion Williamson seems like, and again, you're the sports guy, I'm not, but I've watched it for a long time. He seems to be the kind of guy that's a piece, almost like a Kevin Love piece, a guy that can give you power, that can give you, uh, you know, a presence, uh, rebounds, uh, power to dunk the ball, possibly, you know, and unless he shapes his game, where he works on his game like LeBron did, you know, where he works on his mid-range and he works on kind of being more of a complete player, I think that that, will, that could be a, an interesting scenario, but I would rather see the Cavs, to your original question, you know, draft someone like, like Ja Morant. Um, and I think he's a little under the radar, but here's a guy that can give you a triple-double, and you could pair him um, with, you know, with Colin Sexton, who really is a shooting guard in a point guard's body, similar to Tyree Irving, right? Yeah. And you could have a formidable... You know, I really like point forwards or tall point guards, like a LeBron James, like a point forward. I think John Morant is, is he won't he probably won't get picked by the Cavs, but I think if the Cavs are smart, they would pick someone like him. Maybe an R.J. Barrett. I know he had a little bit of some mental collapses in the in the Final Four. I know that he's had a history of, of that, but he also had some big games. Um, I like R.J. Barrett, but again, R.J. Barrett seems like he would need someone to facilitate, to help. Uh, you know, and, and I don't know if the Cavs have that right now. So right now, the face of the Cavs, I don't know. Unless you're going to say Zion, I think they're going to have to build slowly, and it may not be through this draft. I mean, even though we get a number one pick, they really might be picking one this year, cobbling together a couple of, you know, decent seasons, and then in a future pick, you know, get a, get a superstar who's, who's, really, um, who's really dynamic. I think you've got to have someone like a KD, a Dwayne Wade, a LeBron James, a Kobe Bryant. That, that's the kind of centerpiece you really have to have to contend year in and year out. Like you said, Magic, our, our Bird, Magic, Jordan, all those guys had specific skill sets, but they were dynamic. They were, they were guys that were just, they could win you games from every angle and every side of the ball. And so right now, you know, the Cavs don't have that. And I don't know if I see that in this draft, actually. I don't know if I see a guy like, you know, they, they compare Zion's athleticism to LeBron, but he's not LeBron. I mean, they, they, they no, he's not that. LeBron. He is the right. He is the best physical freak that has appeared after LeBron. He has been the, the most comparable player to LeBron since LeBron, but he's not LeBron. And I think he is a franchise centerpiece. He is kind of like young LeBron where he didn't have the shot yet and he's just as raw talent. He could be extremely dynamic if he really cares on defense. If he really commits himself because he's 6'9". Actually, I don't even think he is 6'9". He might be 6'7", 6'8". He's going to be guarding Durant. He's going to be guarding LeBron. He's going to be guarding Giannis. So if he really commits himself to that side of the ball, he's he is an athletic Freak. He's going to have highlight slams. I mean, he's going to own house of highlights. He has since his sophomore year of high school. So if he really commits himself to the defensive end, the three-point shot will come. I mean, that's the NBA is just breeding three-point shooters. There, there's guys, I mean, I've been watching the playoffs, and I'm like, when the hell did that guy learn how to shoot? Everybody right. knows how to shoot in the NBA. So that will come. Get him in the weight room. Continue to build him out. He's probably going to be 300 pounds. He's just an absolute mammoth of a human being. 
he's going to be fine. I really think he's going to be a franchise centerpiece. And it's interesting that you've said John ja Morant. I actually like Morant more than R.J. Barrett just because R.J. Barrett, to me, is kind of like James Harden in every sense of the word. I, I don't know if R.J. Barrett can be the MVP-type player that Harden is, but that type of dynamic player in the regular season who just crumbles in big moments. And, and I know a lot right. of uh, Houston fans and, and Harden lovers are going to come at me on Twitter for saying, how dare you say Harden is is a choke job, but he is. He hasn't really done anything in the playoffs yet. Uh, and, I mean, the whole crying about calls, I, I, I don't want to get into that because I don't have the time for it. But that would be an interesting backcourt trade and plus pairing that with a possible Kevin Love trade to get future picks or to possibly get another young player who isn't really proven just just yet to build a young core around Morant Colin Sexton and and then a possible other star that's the way to do it that's the way that the Nets did it and the Nets didn't have a first round pick for years so if Cleveland takes that Nets sort of mold and tries to stockpile picks and tries to just build through scouting and good free agency. I think that it's sooner rather than later. And plus they have to fill this role, this uh, head coaching vacancy. No, no one really knows who's going to be the next coach for the, for the Cavs. I would personally take um, what's her name? Uh, from San Antonio. It's Becky something. I forget her last name. But I would take her uh, and just poach her from San Antonio to be the next head coach and to at least have that storyline, even if you don't get the first pick. But last question before we get out of here. Yeah. How long do you think it's going to take until the association with LeBron escapes the Cavs? And, and if Zion gets picked by the Cavs, it's never going to escape him because they're always going to compare him to LeBron. Well, I don't think I don't think it's, there's ever going to be truly any, anybody can escape LeBron. I mean, I think LeBron has etched himself in... Well, it's like, with, it's like what the Bulls did with Jordan. I mean... Yeah, it's never going to go away, right? I mean, you had D. Rose when he was healthy. Right. Still... Even if they won a championship, it, it still would never surpass. I mean, what would have to happen from, say, like, uh, for, for let's just pretend, you know, D. Rose in a perfect world is, is healthy. You know, he would have to win, you know, five titles or something like that, even to be in the conversation where he gets his own quote-unquote generation. But it would still be the Jordan generation and then the D. Rose generation, and you would have people debating on who was better. But even, even to get in the conversation in terms of, you know, as Cleveland Cavaliers, whether it's Zion. And by the way, if we pick Zion, I'd be happy with it. I mean, I, I just don't want people to think that he's the kind of player like LeBron where all of a sudden one year in, you're, you're, you're looking at playoffs. I think he's a player that can be a piece that you build around. But I think it's something you can kind of slowly build and eventually, you know, put together a winning caliber team. But regardless of how well he does or whoever comes here, they're never going to be able to get out of the shadow of LeBron. I mean, until they win multiple championships in Cleveland, they, they'll never be in that conversation. It's just the reality of that kind of a superstar. And, and still in Chicago, and I think the Chicago Bulls, the first person I think of is Michael Jordan. Yeah. The first person. And when you think about the Cavs, you're going to always think about LeBron. Always. I mean, he's the guy that won the championship. Cleveland's only Cleveland Cavaliers' only championship is LeBron James. Only guy to take him to, to five finals in four straight. You know, right? I mean, this is a guy that was in the finals for nine straight years, I believe. I mean, it's crazy. When my stepson is nine years old. Think about that. He's nine. He's never known a reality in, up until this year. So LeBron wasn't in the finals. Yeah. In life. This, man, this little boy's entire life is like, oh yeah, LeBron's in the finals. I for nine. So no, you're never going to be able to dissociate from LeBron until you reach the pinnacle that LeBron reached, and that's of championship caliber. That's of really having year in year in year out trips to the finals and bringing home championships in that way. And even if someone does that, even if someone does that. 
you know, they, they still are going to be competing against LeBron coming back with Kyrie against the, you know, 73 or 4, you know, team winning uh, uh, Golden State Warrior team. Coming down 3-1, who's going who's gonna to surpass that? I think the better chance is for, you know, to, to not worry about his shadow and to function as a team element. I think that's what the Cavs have to do moving forward. I think LeBron's facing that when he went to L.A. Look, LeBron James, on, he's, a, he's on Rushmore. He's one of the top four players of all time, and he's not retired yet. Uh, but at the same time, four or five, right, that's debatable. But you've got to get him in there. But this guy went to L.A. I know you said to start his, you know, life as a media mogul. But I don't know what his thoughts were in terms of basketball legacy. Because I don't know why he thought he could go to L.A. and all of a sudden just jump in in the shadow of Magic and, and Kobe and, and Kareem. And, I mean, there's a legacy there that he'll never even – that's what's so crazy to me about his choice. Like, I, you, you know, you can, you can live anywhere now. You're a multimillionaire. You're almost a billionaire. You, don't have, you, have, you can be a media mogul and not live in L.A. Like, the guy could have went to Houston and won two more chips. I don't understand why he went to L.A. Um, but he's experiencing that right now as far as, you know, a, a really a, a friend, a team, and fans, they don't really like him. I mean, they cheer for but you know what I'm talking about, man. You hear, they're not, they don't embrace LeBron, excuse me, in the way that he was embraced here. He'll never be embraced anywhere the way he's embraced here. And especially in a place that has shadows like LA. That's got shadows. Well, I think it was the part of with the Laker fans. They wanted him to be a Laker and up to this point, he hasn't really embraced being a Laker. I mean, when he went to the Heat, he was riding his bike to the games and making commercials and I'm a Miami Heat. It's I'm all in the city of Miami. And he did the same thing in Cleveland. I mean, Let's be real here. I think he still his heart is still in the Cleveland area because the first year that he come, becomes a, a Los Angeles Laker, he doesn't make a school in L.A. He does it back in his hometown area of Cleveland. So, right. I mean, yeah, great. He's going to make Space Jam too, but that I mean, there's a million and a half things going on in L.A. I mean, Coachella's going on in L.A. right now. So right. everything is going on in L.A. and LeBron is just another side note to that, and I don't think he likes being that. I didn't think I don't think it was a a calculation. I didn't think he or he over examined. I thought he. I think he thought when he went to L.A. he everything was going to stop and it was going to be all about LeBron, and then he could embrace the city that way. But that's not L.A. and I. He might be in a similar boat as. Um, Odell, where he just wants to play basketball, but that's not the way that he's done it in L.A. so far. It's been a massive distraction, and that's something, I mean, and he's exposed the dysfunction of the Lakers. I mean, they're, they're absolutely the laughingstock of the league right now with what happened with Magic. That was the last thing that we saw from the Lakers, and now we're seeing LeBron. And part of that, or LeBron, sorry to interrupt you, part of LeBron going there, to begin with, was from what I understood from reports I heard from whether it was Brian Winters or other uh, sports journalists, was that Magic had a huge influence on that. Yeah. Of him going. This is a crazy to me to think about. Now he goes there, and Magic's like, bye. Like, I mean, so so it's weird. I, I'm wondering, do you think do you think this is something where they, they would ever trade LeBron, or do you think this is something where he's going to seek out a you know, they put a contract, get the second season, and see what happens? And because now. His years are starting to dwindle. His his window to get a couple more chips to, to further his his spot on Rushmore is, is going away. If that's even his goal anymore, maybe you're right. Maybe his maybe he's not worried. Maybe he goes. My my legacy is etched by finals appearances and the three chips that I have, and the one I won in Cleveland that may not be duplicated in any city, right? So he might be satisfied. I just don't think that about LeBron. He's always seemed like a person that. Does, he wants to play, but I think he wants to win. I think he wants to be the greatest. Uh, and, I, and so I, I don't understand the choice, but I, I also now what do the Lakers do, right? I mean, do they do they wait another year? Is it going to be another big trade? I mean, that's possible, right? But that's a big if. And 
And if LeBron has a second season, even if they just make the first round and they bow out early, you, you've lost two years, and it doesn't matter how well Space Jam 2 does, you're, you're on your way out, and, and, and you really lost the twilight of your career where you could have attached yourself to a winning franchise and, and, and further etched your legacy. I just don't see how L.A. helps his legacy at all. I don't see it. I mean, I, and I'm, I'm, look, if you want to be a movie star, just be a movie star and retire from basketball. Right. Like, like you know what I'm saying? Like, you live, you live in New York. I mean, I lived in New York and L.A. Those are the meccas of entertainment. And L.A., especially for film, you know, I mean, but nowadays, look, you don't have to live. It's not like the 1940s where you had to go there because that's where everything was. We have planes now, we have the internet, and we have, you know, like we started the conversation with before you even hit record. You can, you can be anywhere. Right. And be, right? So I, I don't understand that mentality. The guy, he can live there half the year and still play for another team, whether it's Cleveland or, hell, the New Jersey Nets, or I'm sorry, excuse me, I had a flashback, the Brooklyn Nets. <laughs> I mean, it, it could be, it could be anything, but... I know I'm droning on. It just it drives me crazy to think about what happened in LA, and it really just shows. You know, LeBron's getting older. The torch is the torch is being passed, and I gotta be honest. I think if he was in Cleveland this year, they'd be in the playoff mix. They would. <laughs> and they might go to another. They might be. They might have been in the conversation for the finals. But this off season, it's going to go one of two ways. Either we're going to see the quote-unquote GM and and coach LeBron because right now the Lakers don't have a general manager and they don't have a, or really a general manager. Rob Palenka is just a a puppet at this point. They need a general manager and they need a coach. And, I mean, LeBron is going to pick that general manager and that coach. And I think the message that LeBron's going to, to tell them is, Get me Kawhi, get me Durant, get me Kyrie, get me a superstar. Get me a number, a level one tier superstar so we can take this young core, whoever it's going to be, get make the trade for Davis, whatever. Pair me with another superstar, whoever's left from this young core is left, let's go. Or they're going to completely strike out on Durant, on Kawhi, on Kyrie, which I think is a massive possibility, and it's something that really shouldn't be ruled out. I am, in my NBA conspiracy head, that is the number one thing that I think is going to happen. I don't think Kyrie is going to New York. I think he's going to L.A., but if they strike out, a a LeBron trade is not crazy. I mean, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar got traded, so... It's not out of this, out of the realm of possibility. I think it's something that should be entertained if they strike out on Davis, on Kawhi, on Durant, on Kyrie, on whoever their number one and number two free agent topics are or picks are, and just start over. I mean, look at how well the Lakers played two seasons ago when they were recruiting for LeBron. They were playing awesome basketball with a with a young head coach and Luke Walton who seemed to be inspiring these players. Now Luke Walton is in uh, he's in Sacramento, and I mean the Lakers are a lot worse. So either LeBron's going to get his wish and he's going to get his general manager, he's going to get his head coach, and he's going to get a co-star, or seriously consider trading LeBron. I don't know to where that I joked on this podcast where um, Durant signs with the Knicks and then the Knicks trade Durant for LeBron straight up. (laughs) So who knows? But I, I really think a LeBron trade is not out of the question and it just comes down to the summer. Right now, if I, if I had to pick, I would say L.A. Just because I don't think whoever's in charge in L.A. would, would actually have the cojones to pull a LeBron trade. I think LeBron will get whatever he wants in L.A. 
make all the movies, create all the businesses he wants to create, possibly play with his son. Um, actually, whenever or wherever LeBron Jr. goes, I think LeBron will go for a one-year contract just to play with his son, just to fulfill that dream, whether that's yeah. Washington or back to Miami. Who, who knows who's going to have, who's going to be good, who's going to be bad when um, LeBron's son is eligible for the draft. So my answer is I'm going to say 50% or 48% uh, LA, 1% somewhere else, and uh, 47% um, or 49%. Whatever, whatever the the rest of the math is, wherever LeBron Jr. goes, that's my uh, gotcha. cop out answer. Gotcha. But that's a good place to end. I mean, I think we can just name this podcast the LeBron Show because that's literally what it was for pretty much an hour here. But Aaron, it's always a pleasure for when you stop by and, and have the time to come on the podcast. Uh, plug your stuff before we get out of here because it's the credits and this is the time to do it. Thanks. And I, I can't wait to do another one. We'll keep talking. I love talking sports with you. I love what you're doing, building this catalog. And I know that when you're, uh, when you're in that place where it's after school and you're graduating, you're in the, in the uh, sort of the beginnings of your career, this will be a great, you know, this will be a great benefit to you. And it's always just fun talking sports. I love your, I love your passion about it and your knowledge too. Because you know so much about stuff, even outside your city and your market, you really are well versed in that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's outside of listening to sports podcasts, and uh, and um, if you are interested in just audio in general, but but specifically storytelling, people can tune into my uh, my podcast called Seven Minute Stories, and it's literally just that. Every week on Thursday, I release a seven minute story. The stories I tell have a particular style. Um, they are, uh, they are perspectives from my life and it's, uh, it's sort of an observation about uh, the world around me, but it's not, it's not egoic. It's not about me and it's not egocentric. If you know storytelling or if you grew up, you know, you know, watching stand-up comedians, it's similar to that kind of delivery. If you're familiar with a guy named John Lake Lozano, it's kind of, and he used to do one person shows, um, it's, it's really the role of the monologue is, which is what I do, which is just myself telling stories. But I try to do it in a way where even though it's personal, it also is connected on a universal level. And the other cool thing is I don't record, excuse me, I don't write any of my stories. Hmm. I, uh, I record them extemporaneously. So I'm not a writer by trade. I essentially frame up the stories in my mind um, and I press record. And so that's why they feel when you listen to them, like they're in the moment. They feel raw. They, I want the stories to feel like you're on the phone with your best friend and he's telling you something important. And so while they are performative and while they're funny and sad uh, and, and comedic and, and, and melancholy and all the different emotions, it's very dynamic from week to week, uh, you'll, you'll get a sense of, of being in the moment and you'll get a sense of uh, listening to a story hopefully that makes your day better. So to, to check that out, you got to go to 7minutestoriespod.com. That's 7, the number 7, 7minutestoriespod.com. And then you can search 7 Minute Stories with Aaron Califato on any platform that you listen to your podcast, Apple Podcasts, um, Stitcher, and all the, other, all the other ones. Spotify, they're all there. So um, we keep getting listeners. It's awesome. We've had, I think, close to – I started using a new me measuring tool for analytics. Since this March, we've had over 3,000 downloads. And um, it's an exciting thing. There's people from all around the country who are listening and who are enjoying them. And the best thing, real quick, this is the longest pitch in the history of mankind. Um, <laughs> the, the, the cool, it's not quite seven minutes. But the cool thing about them is that you can fit them in your day. Yeah. So if you're, if you're commuting to work or you're going to school or you're between classes or you're on the commute home, on one of the, if you're in the subway, if you're on the bridge, wherever you're at, um, in between the spaces in your life, you can fit a seven-minute story. And that's one of the reasons why I started telling the stories that way because I used to tour as a monologue as doing one-hour monologues. And that's great when you want to go see a show or hear a, hear a story. 
but everyone's got busy lives, and and it's not it's it's hard to fit like an hour or two hours into your life to listen to someone talk. So you know, my my grandfather, my father were great storytellers. They weren't professional storytellers. So the way I learned to tell stories were kind of in a small window, a five to seven minute block, and that's because they fit stories in between the spaces of their lives, between work on the road, going from here to there. And so when you listen to seven minute story podcast you'll get that sort of micro content, but just because it's short, it doesn't mean it lacks value. So any, any, anybody that takes a listen, I, I really appreciate it. I'll definitely tweet out the link again uh, after this podcast goes up. But again, invitations always open if you want to come on and talk. Um, we were talking before uh, off air about a po- another po- uh, podcast. I'm stumbling over my words over here. Another podcast uh, in the near future. So, um, Best of luck with you with the with, with the pod, and uh, I'll talk to you in the future. Talk to you soon, man. Good luck. Take care. Godspeed, brother. That was Aaron Califato of the 7 Minute Stories podcast. Again, if you want to listen to his podcast, that's 7 Minute Stories on any streaming platform for podcasts or 7minutestories.com, the number 7minutestories.com. And over on this side... Um, Obviously, this podcast, if you're here at this point, please subscribe, share. If you're on iTunes, please give us a review. All that good stuff. Uh, jdatasports.blogspot.com is my blog. I have an uh, article out about the foul ball epidemic in baseball and how it's simultaneous, or very slowly killing the game of baseball. Uh, I have a couple articles coming out later this week uh, on that. At NotTheFakeJLeo on Twitter. And again, this podcast, as I say, every single episode, if you like an angry New Yorker screaming into your ears for about an hour, share this podcast with anybody who you seem fit, uh, tweet at me, please. Um, I love getting into arguments with, uh, with people. I sound like Nick, but yeah, and I'm just rambling at this point. So I might as well end. If you're new, There's a saying by Semisonic, and it goes like this. It's closing time. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Peace.